Um, so we do have a very special guest today. Uh, as usual, all of our guests are very special. Um, but today we have Eric Adams, the uh, borough president of Brooklyn, coming in today. So uh, can't wait to talk to him. We're just nice. waiting for him to join us on the Skype call. Uh, we'll get into some questions. We'll jump into some different topics and hear about what he's got going on. And we know that he's uh, running for mayor in 2021. Um, so we'll see what he's up to and get to know him a little better. Yeah. And, um, All of our listeners we'll are see very if he excited. We'll see if he can win our vote today. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. We're tough. We're a tough group. This is a tough crew. Don't play around. Right. <laughs> um, so as soon as he joins, we'll get it started. And then uh, we got a few questions people submitted via Twitter, Instagram. Um, so we'll try to get to as many of those as possible. Uh, I don't know if we'll get him to do shit I don't like, but we'll ask. Yeah, we'll we'll try, see. you know. I mean, yeah. you know. got to try and fit that in. <laughs> this is the show, right? Right. And yeah. then if there's time, then we'll uh, we'll do 25 questions with him as well. Um, so this is actually our first, you know, Skype. I mean, we did Zoom last time, but this is our first time doing it through Skype. Uh, we got some new equipment. You know, we can use our DSLR camera to record this now. So, we, you know, the picture's a little bit clearer than we would if we were using our webcam. Um, so we wanted to kind of do that and increase the value of our pod and uh, the overall quality. We so, look good. I, I think we do look pretty good. <laughs> I mean, considering, you know, I haven't had a haircut in who knows when. Circumstances. It looks like it's intentional. Like you, you're well, going this is part, right? part of the vibe, yeah. right? It's just part of my style, you know. <laughs> Just natural. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we'll just wait for him to call in. It's the Wolf and Unicorn Podcast. I'm Kevin, a.k.a. Roy T. Yachty. And Papa G is here in the middle here. <laughs> How you doing, sir? Good to, to see you all. Thank you for having me. Um, so, you know, we've been doing a lot of research on you, preparing for this interview, and trying to learn as much as we can about you. But there's no better way to learn than speaking with you directly. Um, so, you know, mm. we wanted to get a better idea of kind of what the Brooklyn borough president actually does so can you kind of go into detail i think there was some confusion with some of our followers as well kind of you know the role and what you know falls under your responsibility you know and that's a great question because it's like it's everything you know like brooklyn uh, new york city has five boroughs and brooklyn is the largest of the five normally when people hear about new york city they think of manhattan mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there are five other municipalities or counties in other jurisdictions. They call them uh, county executives, okay. the chief executive for the borough. And my role is to make sure Brooklyn gets its share. We're the largest borough out of the other five or four boroughs. Uh, we have 2.6 million people. If we were a separate city, we'd be the third largest city in America. And so any given day, like I just came back now from a incident where we found a bunch of bodies inside a trailer and a U-Haul truck. So, you know, the people in the community called me over to respond and find out from the police what's going on, was this done correctly? And on my way over there, I was dealing with uh, the millions of dollars I put into my school system for our young people and managing a call of someone that was about to lose their uh, apartment, they were being thrown out prematurely. So it's like any wow. and everything, right. any given day, it's a nonstop job, especially if you hands on, you believe in what you're doing. It's 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 a constant. I call it grinding. Right. Grind all day, you know. <laughs> if you 
If you if you're in a bad relationship and you're trying to get rid of your loved one, become the ball president. So they're gonna dump <laughs> you. Trust me. And in addition to everything that you have already on your plate, we know that you are also running for governor for mayor. 2021. Mayor. <laughs> for mayor for 2021, right? So that just adds a ton more responsibilities, right? Yes, 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 it is. And you're so right. Because I think that there are like two phases to life. There is um, when you're at the conclusion of your career and it's about to be a wrap and you just try to figure out what you're going to do. And then you're at a point where you are ascending uh, for the next level. So you're like in a constant grind, you know. And so you should think, one should think about that not only you know, when they decide to do a job, if you're getting ready to start a job with someone, you know, the first thing you should find out is like, where are you in your career? You right. know, right. you're going to be my boss. I need to know where you are in your career. Because if a person is at a place in their career, when they're getting ready to step out, they're moving at a different throttle. And if you're at a place in your career where you're trying to thrive, you want to be with someone that's hungry. Like, right. my, you know, this I got a, about, I have about 60 something staffers. But I got about five or six are just like hungry, hungry. Mm. They grind every day. Nice. They're like foreign raw war correspondents. They're not <laughs> trying to be home. They want to be right where the action is. And that's how you got to think about it when you put your teams together. And so what, what goes into actually making that decision of like, I'm going to run for mayor? Like, I know you were a police captain prior to being borough president. But like, tell me about your journey and kind of like, you know, how you made that decision to finally decide I'm going to run for mayor this year. You know, there were there were two times in my life where I felt I was called to do something and not just did it. Uh, and one was when I became a police officer. My brother and I, we were arrested by cops when I was 15, and they beat us bad. Mm. So I was, like, really anti-police. Uh, and we were part of an organization called the National Black United Front. Uh, these were, you know, just some strong brothers and sisters uh, that was in the, throughout the entire country. And after a young brother named Randolph Evans was shot and killed by a cop, the leaders of the organization came to 13 of us and stated that they wanted us to go into law enforcement. And I was like, man, you guys out of your mind? Those are the cats that beat us. Yeah. And, you know, during that time, every time I saw a police car, I would relive that beating. Every time I heard a siren, every time I saw a police movie, I would relive the trauma of that beating. And these brothers were wise enough to know that that demasculation I experienced in that precinct, the only way I was going to deal with it if I had to go in and fight from within. And mm. so we joined the police department, started an organization called 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement, and we were hell on wheels, man. I, I used to say to myself every day when I showed up for work, these cats didn't fire me yet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were just buck wild. We, you know? And, you know, I was able to do 22 years. Wow. And, you know, they tried they try to fire me at the end of my career. And I went on to become a state senator. And now I'm the first black ball president, you know. Right, right. So it was, that was a calling. Yeah. Now I'm here again. You know, I, you, you, I don't want to be mayor. There's a need to be mayor. Mm -hmm. You know, our cities are dysfunctional, and the dysfunctionality of our cities, plural, not only New York, but I don't care if you go to Compton, if you go to Liberty City in Miami, if you go to Watts, if you go to South Side of Chicago, or you go to Brownsville, black and brown people are catching hell. And yeah. people eat off of the hell we're, we're catching. 
You know, everybody benefit for it. We fail in school, so they got they have all of these programs where people are eating off of educating us using the same programs, but we continue to fail. Hospital systems, you know, we're the first to get all the chronic diseases. People eat off of us in medical school. We get arrested for something. The attorneys eat off of us. You know, everybody eats off of the dysfunctionalities of black and brown people. And I know we can turn it around. And I, I know once I become the mayor and show how it's done right, it's going to cascade throughout the entire country. And people are going to say, wait a minute, if this brother is doing it in New York, then why can't we do it in Chicago? Why can't we do it in Alabama, yeah. and Mississippi, and New Orleans? People don't want to fix these cities, right, man. Right. You know, they see us as commodities. Yeah. They make money off of our dysfunctionality. And I'm, I'm going to turn that around. Nice. So what are some um, policies that you plan to enact as part of that um, to turn around these communities? Well, you, 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 you have to, we have to stop dealing with symptoms and start dealing with underlying causes. That's so important. We, we deal with symptoms all the time. We, we try to treat symptoms. We don't treat underlying causes. One of the first areas that I'm going to go after is our educational system. First of all, think about this for a moment. All the cities, they are dysfunctional in that they have one agency that creates a problem and another agency try to fix the problem that was created. Uh, Brother Archbishop Desmond Tutu says something that resonated with me um, in paraphrasing him. He said, we spent a lifetime pulling people out of the river. No one goes upstream and find out why they fell in in the first place. Let's prevent people from falling into right. the river, not be downstream pulling them out. So just look at the Department of Education all over the country. Department of Education creates three crises. Number one, it creates the crisis of health care. 70% of 12-year-olds have early signs of heart disease. Mm. 70%. Wow. And it's because of the food we feed them in school. We feed them bad food that we know causes heart disease. So the Department of Health fights to stop childhood obesity, childhood diabetes, childhood asthma. Yet every morning and every lunch, we serve our children food that causes childhood obesity, childhood diabetes, childhood asthma. And then when you look here in New York, I'm sure it's similar across the country, mm -hmm. they also create the crime problem. 80% of the men and women at Rikers Island, our city jail, 80% of them don't have a high school diploma or equivalency diploma. A third of the 18-year-olds read below a 15th grade reading level. Um, another uh, substantial 30 to 40% are dyslexic. So if we went upstream and stopped people from falling into the river of crime, we won't be pulling them out downstream. Right. So what I want to do, all the studies tell us the first thousand days of a baby's life determines their health, determine their cognitive ability, determine all these ailments that they feel. So the real classroom starts in a mother's womb. I want to partner mothers up with doulas so they can start eating the right food. They can learn how to spend those first thousand days to give their child the education so they go into the school system ready to absorb information. Teaching mothers meditation, teaching mothers the nutritional balance to give their children the right uh, nurturing that they need. Because, you know, you can have a baby. Nobody's right. giving you a handbook. When my right. son was born, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, man. <laughs> I, I was just trying to figure it out. And, and, on and then the, I was using the yeah. habits 
that I got from my ancestors, and mm. which was incorrect. Right. And so I want to go to the heart of the problems, and I don't want to just respond to the problem. That's a different way of thinking. Right. And on the topic of healthcare, uh, I, I read that you recovered from diabetes, which doesn't happen very often. Uh, can you tell me kind of about your process and how you attacked it? I know you said you were potentially going to lose body parts at some point. Um, and 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 that's a that's a powerful statement that you said it doesn't ha- it does the recovery doesn't happen often and a real tragedy of a Shakespearean nature is that it doesn't happen often because it ought to happen often. So I was out of the country. I was in Dubai when I had a serious pain in my stomach. Mm-hmm. I thought sure it was colon cancer because I lost a friend to colon cancer. Mm-hmm. And you know you know men man you got to drag us to the hospital. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got to my internist when I came back. And uh, he checked my colon. He checked my my uh, my stomach also. When I came out from under anesthesia, he says, uh, "Eric, uh, your colon is fine, but you have an ulcer." And he says, "Your blood pressure is high." He said, "But your real crisis is your diabetes." He mm. says, "You're." you are in a almost a coma level. He said, matter of fact, I don't know how you're not in a coma right now because oh, wow. my blood sugar level was so high. I lost my sight in my left eye. They said, Eric, you're going to be blind in a year. Um, I had permanent nerve damage in my hands and feet. I, I couldn't even feel my right thigh. I thought it was from playing football mm. um, that I had nerve damage, but it was just the diabetes, the advanced stages. It was just eating my body up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he told me I was going to be on medicine the rest of my life. He wanted to give me medicine for my vision loss, medicine for my ulcer, uh, medicine for my diabetes 3, including insulin. And he said, listen, it runs in your family. And I was just not trying to hear that, right. you mm-hmm. know? And I went, you know, I went to Google, like Google reversing diabetes. What I always thought was enlightened, I didn't say living with diabetes. I said reversing diabetes. Mm. And information came up, some great doctors, um, Dr. Esselton, who treated Bill Clinton for his heart disease, Dr. Gregor, Dr. Bonnard, and I started reading this stuff and consuming it. And I flew down to see Dr. Esselton in Ohio, the Cleveland Clinic, and he said, listen, you need to change your diet. And I remember saying to him, man, what's wrong with this cat? Man, I'm, I'm losing my sight. And he's telling me to stop eating fried chicken, you know. But I went home and I just said, you know what? I got nothing to lose. And I went to a whole food plant-based diet. And in three weeks, my vision came back. Wow. Three wow. months, my nerve damage went away. My ulcer went away. My blood pressure normalized. My PSA normalized. And my cholesterol normalized. I lost uh, I dropped 35 pounds. I tell everybody I don't have a six-pack. I have a case. <laughs> My body's tight now, man. You know what I'm saying? But it was like, it was the food, man. Right. That food, you know, that food. It's, my mother was diabetic for 15 years, seven years on insulin. She joined me on a plant-based diet. In two months, she was off her insulin. It's wow. not our DNA. Right. It's our dinner. Right. That yeah. food is poisoning us every day, man, every day. And it, ever since, we've been straight ahead with it. Right. So how do you plan to roll out this information that you found out with health and stuff like that to the different communities and implementing it so we know better? Right, we're right. And we and we gotta do it a in a very creative fashion. Cause you know what's powerful? You gotta meet people where they are and take them where they ought to be. You know, you can't meet people where you are. If someone would have come to me five years ago and told me, listen, you got to get up, give up all that steak you eat. I'm like, man, get out of my face, (laughs) you know? So we have to really start break down our conversations and stop being so philosophical and intellectual and off our high horses, you know? Like, we know what's best for people. And so what we have done, 
we have broke down our conversations to meet people where we are, where they are. We're empowering our churches. We're giving them uh, health ministries and showing them how to make the connection. Um, we're hooking up with rappers to do um, what we call our um, uh, hip-hop vegans and, and doing these meetups. So people can start to see the connectivity between the food we're eating and how it was causing the illnesses. We have a program at Bellevue Hospital, the first of its kind in America, lifestyle medicine, where people are going in, reversing their diseases, getting off medicine, learning how to eat healthy. Because food is like crap, right, man. Right, you yeah. know, that first two weeks, I was dreaming about, <laughs> I was dreaming about chicken, man. I was, you know, it's like you're addicted. Right. And so you, it's the same thing you have to go through with AA and NA right. and all those other things you're addicted to. You got to go through weeding off this food right. because I didn't like chocolate cake merely because of the taste. Mm. I liked it because when I had a bad day in playing softball, my dad used to give me that. Okay. So you connect food with the relationships right. you have. So someone comes to you and say, you got to stop eating that macaroni and cheese. You're like, Negro, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> this is what my aunt cooked. <laughs> you trying, trying to scream on my aunt? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we have to change right. that relationship with food. And, you know, my mom was able, my sisters and brother, one sister lost her kidney from, uh, from diabetes. Another sister lost her breast from breast mm -hmm. cancer. Another brother's going through, through chemo right now. Another brother um, had prostate cancer. You know, so my entire family's going through this, but now they're at the point of, you know what, we're going whole food, man, right. we're breaking free. Right. Let me drop this on you, which is powerful. The food we eat right now is what the slave master forced our ancestors to eat. Right. And we are... Our ancestors must be saying, what is wrong with these cats, man? We had to, we was forced to eat this. So the the Willie Lynch letter is not this letter that people think about. It's the recipes, mm -hmm. hidden mm -hmm. in the recipes. We lost Ken Thompson, 50-year-old district attorney, first African-American district attorney, died from colorectal cancer, food-related. Mm -hmm. They say, the, the, the slave master said, Eric's going to be blind at 52. So we, we don't have to worry about him. Jesse Jackson, he may have dodged a bullet that took the life of Dr. King, but you know what? He's going to have Parkinson, mm. food-related. All of these food-related diseases, Brother Lewis, Congressman Lewis, one of the strongest fighters during the civil rights mm -hmm. era, going through cancer right now. We're losing our heroes and sheroes and younger. Right. Look how many young rappers and young musicians <laughs> that are dealing with losing their life because of Food. Right. That is what this mission is about, right. man. This mission is about showing it's about wellness. I'd love to talk to you offline a little bit because I'm developing an application with some friends to kind of manage chronic conditions in healthcare and uh, communities that are affected the most, which African American, Latino community. Um, so I'd love to talk to you offline a little bit about that. Um, but love it. Love on, it. on the topic of healthcare, also, I mean, a lot of questions we got came about coronavirus. Yes. Um, Obviously, it's, you know, here, it's everybody's talking about it. But uh, one of the questions we got was, you know, how do you think it'll affect our summer this year? Will we be able to do anything What's this that, summer? Uh, of coronavirus? Right. Yeah, because you went, you went in and out. Oh, sorry. You, you were asking me about Yeah, so mm -hmm. people were asking, would we be able to do anything this summer? Will things be able to open? People want to enjoy the weather. Um, you, th you know, from what you're hearing, you know, on your side, do you think we'll be able to have a decent summer this year? Uh, 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 no, 
to be honest. You know, I think that life is different and it's not going to, uh, the, the life we knew is going to take a cosmic shift for a number of reasons. Uh, one, um, all the experts I'm, I'm speaking with, all my medical experts, they're telling me, they say, Eric, October, November, coronavirus is going to come back like a vengeance. Mm -hmm. You mm. know, they're saying that, listen, it's going to be a troubling time. Uh, we're going to have to really figure out, you know, this whole social distancing piece. We need to, we're going to have to change the way we've done, we have done business. And uh, it's going to be a challenging time. We, we'll really know um, come come June. Hey, what's, you, what's that you drinking? That doesn't look like I see. Uh, a little apple juice, a <laughs> little apple juice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to get my Henny. <laughs> you know, we do we do a Henny pod, you know, once every couple months. It gets a little crazy, but I don't know. You're running for mayor. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but seriously speaking, the... June, you really have an idea. Uh, we can't do it prematurely. We can't do like Atlanta. Check out what they did in Atlanta. They say, you know, we're going to open up. Right. We're going to open up right. beauty salons and barbershops. And you, you understand what I'm saying? So they're going to throw us out there. Let's test right. and see if these cats die. And then we figure out what we're going to do. Right. Right. And so it's going to be a different ball game. We're looking here in the city. To, we want to make sure we have our summer youth programs uh, for, you know, the young people. We want to figure out what we're going to do, if we're going to close down pools and other things, because people are going to need an outlet. Right. And uh, it's going to be a different summer, you yeah. know. But you know what? We're, folks are going to adjust. People will still be able to, you know, find ways yeah. to enjoy the interaction. You know, it's just going to take an adjustment. Right. Right. So with the with the future of coronavirus being a little bit more long term and possibly having a second wave, how do you see this impacting the healthcare system in New York City overall? Like, do you see any major changes coming? Um, are we hopeful for any major changes? Because we sure need them. <laughs> um, and what are your views on those? First. First, we need to really. I've been on the ground on 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 coronavirus. You know, you know, we divided the city up into essential employees and non-essential employees. That was coded language, and I told people when I heard it in the beginning. I've been living in my office for over forty days since coronavirus started because I wanted to be on the ground with our folks and make sure they get what they need because you know we're forgotten and. We told a segment of the city, you guys need to, in order to survive coronavirus, you need to shelter in place, you need to uh, telecommute, you need to make sure you do social distancing. Then we told the whole nother group that were black, brown, and poor, you need to go run our city. You need to make sure we have our broccoli on our shelves. You need to drive our trains. You need to make sure when we do Uber Eats that you deliver our stuff. And we gave you no protective equipment. Right. And then you have that train operator that lost 80 train operators. You tell them you got coronavirus. We're not even going to test you. Mm. We're going to tell you that since we're not admitting you to the hospital, you can go home. Now you go home, you infect your family member. They get it. God forbid if you have somebody with a pre-existing condition, which many of us do, right. over 94% of the people who die from coronavirus have pre-existing conditions. You infect your family because you're leaving, you're living two and three generations deep. And so you have a healthcare system that's inadequate, as we saw in the New York Times over the weekend. You had downstate getting one type of 
help and you had Presbyterian having folks bring in flying their private jets to get you know, the tools that they need. And so we need to advocate for a healthcare system that is going to treat everyone with the same level of equality. That's the big fight that we need to push right. over this coronavirus battle to make sure our healthcare systems are fair. Right. Um, so we're so, going to. So is there like talk of. Uh, we're going to move into, Sorry. I know you have another meeting at, in a few, so I want to move on to our next segment. You know, we'd love to have you back so we can get a full, you know, but I know we got to, you know, get yes. a schedule. <laughs> I, I'm watching the clock. <laughs> um, so we're going to move on to our uh, second segment. Um, so we, we do something called 25 questions for our listeners and hopefully your voters uh, to get to know you a little better. So we're going to set the timer for three minutes and we're going to ask you 25. Well, mm -hmm. we're going to try to get to 25 questions and you answer as many as you can. So hold on, we'll get the timer up. Yes. Oops, that's not. <laughs> that's Greg. Uh, swap. All right, that's perfect. So Yadi's gonna. No, let me reset the clock here. Okay. All right, we'll Ready? The clock will start after the first question. Okay. Yes. Number one: Jets or Giants? Jets. Mets or Yankees? Oh, no. <laughs> Mets. If you could be any animal in the world, what would it be? Uh, eagle. How would your best friend describe you using only three words? Kick-ass MF. That four? If you had to pick one superpower, what would it be? Flying. What scares you the most? Not living a full life. What was your first job? Messenger. Name one thing you can never give up. Cigar and scotch. <laughs> What's That's your true. least favorite household <laughs> chore? Wash the dishes. What is your favorite movie? Scarface. What's your favorite song right now? Hmm. New York, Jay-Z's version. Nice. What is your favorite project that you've worked on? Rebuilding my house. Nice. Actually, my mother's house, rebuilding. What's the most difficult part of your position? S scared people. <laughs> you know, trying to make them be realize there's nothing to be afraid of. Nice. If you could live anywhere besides New York, where would you live? Hulam Bay, Vietnam. Nice. If you had a chance to change your name, what would it be? Mm. I don't know. I love E. Love Aries. <laughs> okay. What's your favorite meal to make? A nice um, open, open sandwich made out of flaxseed, cocoa powder, and a vegan burger. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Coffee or tea? 
a tea, which I'm drinking now. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather live for a week in the past or in the future? Mm, great question. In the future. What's your favorite color? Green. Earth tone colors. Green. Favorite restaurant of all time? That's it. Oh, that's time. Yeah. You can answer uh, that one. A place... Uh, a place a place we call Woodland. Woodland. Oh, I love that place. I got to check it out. On Flatbush Avenue. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> um, and we do like to end things on a positive note. If you have a couple minutes, you can say anything that you feel that will help our listeners get through their day, their week, their month, their year, whatever you want to say to the people. Uh, now's the time. Never give up, you know. Um, when I was arrested as a child at 15, the cops told my mother, leave him, he'll never be anything. And my mother walked into the precinct with a cane in one hand and a Bible in the next, and she says, I'm not giving up on my baby. And she saw me go and become a captain in the police department, so I went from breaking the law to enforcing the law, and then I became a state senator and I wrote the law. And now I'm on the verge of trying to be the mayor of one of the most important cities in America. All of us stumble. A bend in the road is not the end of the road as long as you make the turn. And a lot of our black boys are out there feeling as though they're at the end of the road, and it's just a bend, man. Make the goddamn turn. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And um, Mr. Uh, okay. Eric, I just have one more question. And just personally, and I'm sure other people will want to know too, how can we monetarily or even volunteer for your campaign? I like that, man. I appreciate that. Um, the My staff is going to give you my, my, my website, but I'm going to give you personally my cell number. Oh, all, uh, hold on. Let and me... you can hit me. <laughs> And you should hit me. Both of you should hit me. One on your medicine piece, and but I would love for you to hit me. And we did a we did a meeting last week of um, a, a black men called the black black and brown men. You know, this is our time, man. We the kings, man. It's it's time for kings to regain their thrones. You know, I and that. I think there's an awakening. There's a universal shift that's taking place across the globe. And this enlightenment. I think it's time for us to be a part of, right, you know, right. so I would love to hear from you. I would love to give you the information on the, the health people. I would love to talk to you about that okay. because hearing from you is that's the voice that a lot of our soldiers need to hear to make this slow transition on how to take care of our temples again. I appreciate it, man. It's been an awesome interview. We appreciate you coming on our show. Yes. Um, we hope we can get you back on before, you know, things get crazy again on your schedule. Um, <laughs> I know once things open back up, Love you're going to be all over the place. Um, yes. Yeah, so we just wanted to thank you. It's very refreshing to have someone who's, you know, on the road to, you know, such a powerful position who is a breath of fresh air, you know, who's a vegan, who's empowering our people. So definitely thank you so much for coming and talking to us. We really appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Thank you. Be well. All right. Appreciate you. Thank you. Have a good one. Take care. Thank you. <laughs>